Well, good morning. It's uh, become something of a custom that I, I take this uh, Sunday each year. I think Matt thinks uh, everybody's away at New Day and on holiday. It's probably one of the lower congregations of the year. You know, who can I get to preach? I'll get my dad to preach. That's how he, so that's how I get here. Uh, so today, we're actually going to start a, a, a short summer series, just over four weeks, called Devoted. And just to remind you, of course, we are in two congregations. So uh, the congregation at 502 in Ashley Road. Uh, Matt Painter will be probably on his feet somewhere uh, pretty soon, and he'll be looking at the same passage that uh, we're looking at here uh, today. So I'm going to take two of these uh, uh, messages over the next four weeks, and uh, Carlos is going to be speaking next week, and then uh, Dan, I think, is doing the if not here today, so Dan is taking the, uh, the fourth week. And to do that, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and uh, look at a particular verse, and you'll see why we're calling this series Devoted. And we'll be talking about getting back to kind of basics in church life during these few weeks. So go to Acts chapter 2, uh, of course near the beginning of the New Testament, <coughs> just after the Gospels, and very long chapter, Acts chapter 2, so I'll just pick up in verse 41, where uh, we've reached the stage that Peter has preached on the day of Pentecost, and people are responding to the Word of God that uh, Peter has proclaimed on that day, and we read in verse 41 of Acts 2 that those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you've got immediately a church of 3,000 in the city of Jerusalem. This is the, the first church that has been planted. And here it is in Jerusalem, already numbering 3,000. So what do they do? Well, the next verses tell us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the who were being saved. And you can see there that verse 42, which is the verse that's going to occupy us over the next four weeks, starts by saying that these uh, early believers uh, in this first church, they devoted themselves. And what we're going to concentrate upon this morning is the fact that uh, the early church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. Obviously, teaching, preaching is a big part, major part of our life together as a local church. And if you say, why should that be? Then obviously part of the answer is right here, that there in the first church in Jerusalem, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there was a passion in that early church to hear what the apostles were going to say, what they were going to preach, and what they were going to teach. And we desire in this local church, 2,000 years later or so, uh, to to our culture, but nevertheless we model ourselves as far as we can see on the New Testament church. And so what they did, we want to do in a way that's appropriate to the day and age. 
a critic of Billy Graham who said to him uh, concerning his evangelism, you know, you're trying to take the church back a hundred years. And Billy Graham said, I'm really disappointed in that. I wanted to take it back 2,000 years. <laughs> and in a sense, that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to be like the early church. And so today we're talking about uh, preaching and teaching because that's what the early church devoted themselves to. So let's ask a question, what is the apostles' teaching? If we're going to be devoted to it, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what is the apostles' teaching? Well, and of course, those first apostles would have used the Old Testament uh, as their source for preaching the gospel that they were now beginning to expound. But let's try and identify it in a bit more detail. Remember, this church is formed out of Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has come upon those first believers. And so Peter has proclaimed something and the people have responded to that. So if we're going to talk about the apostles' teaching, then we must understand what it was that Peter himself had been teaching on the day of Pentecost, which we see in the earlier part of Acts chapter 2. And essentially, what Peter was preaching there was a first-hand witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. If you like, this is the heart of his message, really. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then in verse 32, Peter's continuing and says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So he's talking about the fact that he himself and the other apostles had seen Christ crucified and raised to life. Now, Paul the apostle picks that up in his writings. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So it's very clear what the apostolic message was. It was the facts of the the gospel, the facts of the faith, if I can put it like that. It was about what actually happened historically, that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and he was seen. And these apostles, like Peter, are saying, we are witnesses of these things. So it's not surprising when Paul is writing in the New Testament, he makes statements like this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you. He says this to the Corinthian church. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so the apostolic message was always based around the cross and the resurrection. Uh, 
And if we're not preaching that, then we are not teaching apostolic truth. We are not teaching the apostles' doctrine. Our message, let's be clear on this, is not simply a philosophy, it's not a gathering of vague ideas, it's based on historical facts. That Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, and the apostles saw him. And they talked to him raised from the dead, they touched him, and they even ate something like fish and chips on a beach with him, right? Dead. And I don't care what you call yourself, if I can put it bluntly, you can call yourself an archbishop, a bishop, a minister, uh, a preacher, but unless you're preaching this, unless you're teaching this, then if you make any suggestion that Christ did not really rise again from the dead in the body, then you're not teaching apostolic truth, no matter what label you might have. So the apostles witnessed to this and they proclaimed it. And so must we, 2,000 years later. We're passing on the first-hand witness to historical facts that Christ died and rose again. But then we need to add to that and say the facts of Christ's death and resurrection also carry meaning. They're not just historical facts, they actually mean something. And so, of course, a lot of the New Testament is given over to this explanation of, of saying what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means. And a lot of that explanation is, in fact, found in the letters of the New Testament. Now, sometimes I've heard people say it about a church or even about a preacher. You know, you seem to spend a disproportionate amount of time in the letters of the New Testament. There's all the Old Testament, and there are Gospels, but proportionately, uh, evangelical churches, preachers, seem to spend so much time in the letters of the New Testament. But there's very good reason for that. It's because the letters actually explain the meaning of the Gospel the meaning of the historical facts. And so think again of Paul saying, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ crucified. And what Paul is saying by that is that his ministry was committed to explain the meaning of the crucifixion, death, That's the verse in Romans chapter 1 that underlines this point very strongly, uh, and in a, in a way, it's almost a bit of surprise when you think about it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, Paul says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. And this is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, you, you read that verse, you might not think too deeply about it, that Paul wants, wants to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. But think about it for a moment. He is writing a letter to a local church. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, I want to preach the gospel to you, the church in Rome. And we can think, but surely the gospel as we know it is, a, is really, for, in a sense, for unbelievers. It's for people who haven't yet... Uh, that's where we teach the gospel. But here, Paul is saying to the church in Rome, I'm eager to preach to you, the church, the gospel. 
And that is because, as a local church, we always need In verse 16 of Romans 1 there to say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And church, we should never the meaning of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are infinite riches in the message of the cross. And we can spend all our lives, and indeed, I believe, all eternity, actually exploring the meaning of the, message of the uh, cross of Jesus Christ. So, the Apostles' teaching rests heavily on the facts of the gospel, but it also interprets the meaning of those facts, which is why we tend to spend a lot of time as a local church in the letters of the New Testament where we get the meaning of the gospel and of the cross actually explained to us. I suppose one very good way of illustrating this is the famous example of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the most famous uh, British preacher of the 20th century. And on Friday nights in Westminster Chapel in central London, he took 13 years to preach through the book of Romans and never finished it. Right. But in a sense, it illustrates the riches of the gospel message. That actually what he was doing was, through Romans, expounding and explaining the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even 13 years wasn't enough, in fact, to exhaust those riches to that congregation. Now, something else about the Apostles' teaching is that it raises questions. In fact, that happened on the day of Pentecost. So, Peter the Apostle was preaching, preaching about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as he comes to a conclusion of his sermon, which is obviously only kind of given in very brief uh, uh, form here, in a compacted form, but nevertheless, as he comes to the end of that sermon, we read in Acts 2.37 that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And so the preaching of apostolic truth raised a question. What shall we do? Them being baptized and being joined into the community of the church. But there's also a question that should arise from us as sometimes... gospel, in the light of this apostolic teaching, how should this affect my life? What difference should it make to me? And so, there is apostolic teaching and preaching, which is also here in the New Testament, which teaches us how to live. Now, something very important here, please note the order. The apostles never begin by telling us how to live. Right? And uh, I, I've sometimes come across people who haven't yet become Christians and are interested in the Christian faith, and they say, well, what, what, how do I live? But that's, that's not the first question, right? If you, if you actually are, are wanting to become a Christian, you, know, you need to be asking, what do, I, what do I do to become a Christian? 
It's not really how I live, but how to become a Christian. And you do that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But then having become a Christian, having put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the question comes up, well, then how should I live? But the gospel or the apostolic preaching never begins by telling us how to live. It always begins with the gospel itself. that the New Testament then begins to say, now, having got that foundation in your life, this is how you can express it, and this is how you can live it out. Now, that comes again and again in the New Testament, and many famous examples, I'll just give you a couple, but for example, in, in Romans chapter 12, for 11 chapters, Paul has been explaining the gospel. That's all he's been doing. He hasn't been saying that uh, you should live like this, you should do this, or you should do that. He has simply been explaining the gospel. And that's taken him 11 chapters to actually unravel and unpack the message of the gospel. Only when he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, in the light of this gospel, in the light of what I've taught you, in the light of this magnificent truth, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which I've explained about in the gospel, offer your bodies or your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He doesn't begin by saying, try and live a holy life. He begins by saying, 11 chapters, here's the gospel, here's the message of salvation. Got that? Okay. Therefore, on the basis of this great act of salvation, this wonderful mercy of God in Christ, therefore, this is now how to live. Or again, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, you get exactly uh, the same thing. For three chapters, Paul has been unpacking the mystery, as he calls it, of the gospel, uh, teaching the truth of salvation. He's done that for three chapters, and he comes to chapter 4, and we read, As a prisoner of the Lord, therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, again, I know people who read that verse and think that the calling they have received is a calling to live a holy life. That is not what the verse is saying. Paul is saying, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is not a call to a holy life. The call is the call of God into Christ and in salvation. And once you've heard that call, once you've received that call, once you've come into Christ, once you belong to Jesus Christ, then, he says, live a life which is worthy of that calling. And he goes on to explain, in very practical terms, ways in which we can actually live it out. So you find that there is a lot of practical instruction in the New Testament, but it's never in order to make us Christians. It is always to show us how to live as Christians. And so every issue is addressed. So whether it's family issues or issues of singleness or issues of marriage or issues of money or issues of work, it's all in here, folks. It's all in here. And we're told how, as those who are in Christ, having accepted this glorious gospel, we can now work it out in and through our lives. It's all part of the apostles' teaching which we seek to preach and teach in this church. So as a local church, we want to be devoted to this. Now, secondly, what happens when we preach? So, uh, um, 
<laughs> I'm tempted to say on a hot, dozy morning, you fall asleep, okay? But that is not what you do, okay? <laughs> All right. Sleep. Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians. All right, so uh, what happens when we preach? Well, doctrine, but what do we then expect to happen? We're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Right. And I'm going to give you four key words as to what we might anticipate can happen. The first thing I would say is encounter. What is the purpose of preaching and teaching apostolic truth? Now, when you come here on a Sunday morning, I wonder what you think. When we preach, I wonder if a number of you would put down like we're learning about truth, we're getting information, we're hearing things that we didn't know before. And so there is a sense that a lot of congregations feel that when we hear the preaching, what we're doing is getting information and we're gaining truth. Now, I want to say that that is not the primary purpose of preaching. You may be surprised about that. It is a purpose, but it's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of preaching is not to give you more truth and more information. If that is the case, then let me tell you, as a preacher, you get very disappointed very quickly. And I know this because I, like many preachers, have attended small groups or cell groups where they are discussing the preacher's sermon from the previous Sunday. And the conversation goes something like this. The question is asked, now who was it that was preaching at Order Road last Sunday? Now that's the problem first of all, and you can see people looking <laughs> a bit mystified. And then I remember it's me, so we make some progress on that. <coughs> and then the second question that comes up is, what did John preach about last Sunday? Ah, yeah, now what was it? I know we were talking about prayer a few weeks ago, and then people are struggling around. Eventually you get to what it was that was preached last Sunday. And then when you say, what was John's three points, the look of terror hits the groups, because uh, nobody can remember what his three part points were at all. Now, that may be an exaggeration, but believe me, I've been in some groups, and it's not too much of an exaggeration. Okay, this is from Jonathan Edwards, revival preacher, uh, from 250 years ago, being quoted by the aforementioned Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This was something that marked my life and my ministry decades ago in a way that I couldn't express too strongly. And I want you to hear this. It is objected, said um, Jonathan Edwards, in the midst of revival, he was, when sermons are heard so very often that one sermon tends to push out another so that persons lose the benefit of all. They say two or three sermons in a week is as much as they can remember and digest, different age. Such objections against frequent, frequent preaching, if they be not from an enmity against religion, are for the want of duly considering the way that sermons usually profit a hearer. Now, now hear this. The main benefit obtained by preaching is by impression upon the mind at the time and not by the effect that arises afterwards by remembrance of what was delivered in brackets in a small group. And though an after-remembrance of what was heard in the sermon is often very profitable, yet for the most part the remembrance is from an impression the words made on the heart at the time
And Martin Lloyd-Jones adds this, the first and primary object of preaching is not only to give information, it is, as Edward says, to produce an impression. It is the impression at the time that matters even more than what you remember subsequently. I hope you get what, he's, what they're saying there. In other words, when we preach, what we're seeking to do is bring people into an encounter with God through the Word of God. We're not trying to set you a test for small groups. It's that you might encounter God through the Word of God by proclaiming apostolic doctrine. Now, you could say that means that the information isn't all that important then. And I would say, yes, of course it is. It's simply not primary. But the point is this. If you sit under biblical ministry in a church like this, month in, month out, there is a deposit of truth that builds up in your life. I always uh, liken it to breakfast uh, and often use this illustration, but I don't know what I had for breakfast on the 19th of June, 1973, but I did have breakfast, I'm sure, on that date. And whatever I had, which I now cannot remember, has contributed to this magnificent specimen of manhood that you see before you today. All right? There's a deposit of truth. that builds. You may feel it's too much of a deposit, but there is a deposit of truth uh, that, that builds up. Uh, that is one of the reasons, my friends, why sometimes you're surprised at how much you know. You know, you've, you've, sometimes somebody asks you a question or something happens and you think, well, well, well you, you know things you didn't even realise you knew. It's because there's a deposit of truth that builds up. Uh, another way of putting is this, is, have you not heard testimonies of people who've come to Christ and they said there was this preacher and he gave this message and uh, that's when I gave my life to Christ and at the end of the meeting I came forward. I can't remember a word that he said, but I came forward and gave my life to Christ. It's the impression at the time. And so when we preach, we're trying to seek God's encounter with us through the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> let me then immediately say second, a second word is putting the emphasis on, on the content, which is equipped, because there are times when we want to put an emphasis on the content. Sometimes we teach in a way to particularly impart truth and information, content as paramount. I would suggest that's not usually the case on Sunday mornings, but it happens in things like seminars and other teaching occasions. So, for example, I've often been up to Milton Keynes to teach New Frontiers leaders on uh, the, le the character of a leader. Now, if you live in Mil Milton Keynes, you need some character, and I've been up there, and I've talked on the character of a leader. Now, what I'm trying then to do is to impart information Right? and content that people get hold of. I've taught in cinemas. It's cinemas. I've taught in seminars. Uh, I've taught in cinemas, actually. But I've taught in seminars, uh, and uh, uh, you're trying to get the, the truth and the content across. And it might be on something like an Old Testament overview or on money, for example. Now, you can encounter God in a message on money or teaching an Old Testament overview, but essentially, there are times when you are seeking to equip people with the truth through apostolic teaching. Then the third word I bring is remind. And the reason that we teach apostolic truth is to remind you. Why? Because Christians forget. And that's why we have problems as Christians. Almost all our problems, almost all our pastoral difficulties are because we forget apostolic truth in some way. And so we need to be reminded Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And
And in order to do that, he has to keep telling them the same things again. He needs to remind them of the apostolic truth. He needs to remind them of the wonder of the gospel, the the fantastic message of salvation. In Revelation chapter 4, John the Apostle speaks of looking up into heaven, and in heaven he has a vision of God seated on the throne. The context of that is very interesting, because in the book of Revelation, John is about to be shown all the realities of history, all the terrible things that happen throughout history, like wars and famines and plagues and so on, all the difficulties that occur, all of that is going to be shown. But before he's shown that, he sees a vision of God seated on a throne. And brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of that. We live in a world that is being shattered in so many ways at the present time. The problems and the difficulties, the threats, climate change, nuclear uh, bombs again being manufactured in huge numbers, missiles, I mean, you go on and on and on. You can talk of the troubles that we face, let alone our own personal troubles, and it's so easy to begin to look down. And what the Bible reminds us is that surrounded by all these troubles is that we need to look up and see there's a sovereign God who sits on the throne of history and for all eternity. And whereas we tend to look down, apostolic truth lifts us up so that we see the sovereign God who sits on the throne of history and know that finally all will be well. We need to be reminded. And then a fourth word is safeguard because apostolic truth safeguards us from errors. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye uh, to the elders in the church at Ephesus. And it's a very emotional occasion, but here he says a particular kind of word of instruction to the elders there. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul is saying to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and this is always a charge, really, to elders of any local church, keep watch over the flock, guard them, guard the flock, safeguard the flock. Because there are false teachers that sweep through the church and can seek to draw people away from the truth. We must keep preaching, teaching apostolic truth to safeguard the people of God. It will keep us free from heresy, things that are completely and utterly false. It will keep us away from fads. You know, fads come into the Christian church. I have strong convictions about the nation of Israel and about God's end-time purpose for Israel, but with some Christians, it's a fad. All they can think of is Israel. That we've got to remind people of, to guard people from faddishness, Sometimes, perhaps not so much today, but I know in the past there have been people who've been convinced that as Christians they can be sinless and perfect in this life. You don't even need apostolic truth for that. Go and ask your wife, all right? That'll cure that one. All right, so, but you, you have fads that go through the church, and people get hold of these things and make it the whole of their Christianity. No, we need apostolic truth. Gives us the whole sweep of the gospel and safeguards us and gives us stability.
And then thirdly, the third main point, how can we be devoted? And with this I'm obviously going to draw it to a close, but how can we be devoted? So we've got it here in uh, Acts 2 and verse 42. Let me just draw your attention again. It's to the word devoted. That's the name of our series, title of our series. It's a very strong word in the Greek language. It means given to, committed to, passionate about. The early church was devoted In Jerusalem. So how can you and I, how can we as a congregation be devoted to apostolic teaching, preaching and truth? Well, a couple of quick things here. First of all, of course, we need to hear it. Uh, that's why we have preachers and teachers in the church. And uh, preachers and teachers have different styles. We're not all clones. Um, my friend here, Carlos, has got a lovely, warm pastoral teaching manner and uh, others of us are more kind of fixed on the exegesis, and uh, others of us are more prophetic. I think of Matthew Ashton, who's always got a different line and angle on things. We're all different, but we're all seeking, whatever the style is, to bring apostolic truth. And this uh, needs to be heard. Romans 10.15, Paul says, "'How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news.'" Now, feet are not usually our best feature. I mean, you don't usually comment on a person's feet. You say, oh, he, he, she's got lovely eyes. You might even say, he's got a you know, remarkable nose. You might even say that. But you don't say, wow, beautiful feet. I mean, look at those feet. So, you know, I'm not going to say to you next week when Carlos is up here, check the feet, folks, check the feet. <laughs> but when we bring apostolic truth, the person who brings gospel. But uh, uh, we need to hear it because we've got preachers and teachers in the church who bring it to you. So I want to ask, do you pray for the preachers or do you just grumble about them? Oh, a bit long, you know, couldn't quite follow that. Uh, hey, your cure for that is you pray for the preachers. Remember the importance of apostolic preaching and teaching. People say sermons are out of date. This is a non-verb. that is absolute rubbish to me, and that's political party conferences. What you've got is a group of preachers standing up one after the other, rallying the troops in that particular party. People respond to fervent, effective, true preaching of the gospel. There's always a place for teaching the truth. And anyway, it's not just a matter of, is it a good communication? It's a matter of, are we encountering God as the truth is being preached? So pray for the preaching, because we need to hear it. And again, we need to listen. Not only hear it, but listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, on my car, I've got these beepers, like many cars have got these days, that go off when you're reversing and get too near to something. You know, probably a number of you have got cars like that you're getting near to something behind you, and you need to be careful because you can bang your car. So a few months ago, Sue and I are in the car, and I'm backing out of my drive, and Sue and I are talking together as I back out of the drive, and suddenly the beepers go, beep, 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 can I hear them? Yes, I can. Am I listening? No, I'm not, and I hit the car opposite, straight into the back of it. So I'm, I'm hearing the beep beeps, but I'm not listening to them. And we can be like that. We can hear, but we don't actually listen. Now, 
in our spirit. We shall have a sitting forward spirit. There can be an attitude concerning the preaching on a Sunday. Okay, here I am. I've been bothered enough to come this morning. Now, let's see if you can interest me. Okay, let's see what you can do. You know, can you, can you bring something that's going to interest me? And you just kind of sit back. People who really want to listen anticipate. They sit forward. Over the years, one of the conclusions that I've come to about preaching is that it ought to be a kind of celebration. The truth is so wonderful that the preacher should be celebrating as he preaches it and the congregation should be celebrating as they receive it. Preaching is not a one-way street. It's not just someone up the front delivering it. We're engaged together. And it should be actually bringing about a kind of corporate celebration as we preach together. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration, which I don't want you to misunderstand, because I don't want to try and be artificial. And I know sometimes you can do this. You can give an illustration, and people can get nervous and think you're trying to force that unnaturally onto this congregation. So don't read it like this. Don't read it like that. Just take it as an illustration of what I mean about a corporate celebration. But a number of years ago, I went to preach in a very, very poor area of another country, and it was a kind of township shack area, and I had a very poor congregation. And it's probably, uh, I don't know, maybe something like 50, 60 people there. It wasn't a big congregation, 50, 60 people. And, and I preached this congregation. Wow. So I started to preach, and people started to clap. And I went on preaching, and they're clapping more, so I'm getting more into it. And then they're on their feet. They're literally on their feet, and they're shouting, hallelujah. They're saying, preach it, brother, go for it. They're clapping. I mean, did I preach a storm of that Sunday? <laughs> because it kind of, you kind of the, the congregation reacts to the preacher, but the preacher reacts to the congregation. And there, there needs to be, as we come here on Sunday morning, a sense that we're celebrating together as we share in the Word of God together. It's not just the preacher. And as you come together then, as we talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, I encourage you to sit forward and celebrate, to really listen, not just to be laid back and relaxed. I'll tell you something about my preaching, I'm not relaxed, all right? I want to get something across, all right? But I think we need to have the attitude that we come to hear God, to encounter God. Do you believe that, that you could come on a Sunday morning and really encounter God today? And then lastly, third point of this third point, uh, do, do. So we'll talk about hearing, listening, and then doing. So here we can go to John chapter 13. And Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. And in doing that, he's really wanting to instruct them on servant leadership. That's why he, their Lord and Master, has washed their feet but it's in order to give them a message, to instruct them on servant leadership. And at the very close of that famous story, Jesus says to his disciples, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So we can... do. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We can hear a lot of preaching and teaching and just get fat. But to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means to do what we hear. John Ortberg, well-known Bible teacher in America, says, we can say we believe things, but we 
only really believe if we live it. So what's God saying to you? I don't mean just this morning. Perhaps God's been speaking to you other Sunday mornings. Perhaps he's been speaking through your own Bible reading. What's God saying to you at the present time? Are you listening? Are you devoted? Are you doing it? The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, and we want to be a church like that. There's a, a verse in Daniel which has always struck me as being so typical, not only of that age in which Daniel lived, but in our age too. And the verse speaks of rebellious, rebellious people, and it says, truth has fallen to the ground. My friend, we've got something to fight for with the gospel message, with apostolic truth. And so when we come together as a church, we want to be devoted to this, devoted to apostolic teaching, to apostolic truth, in order that we can be equipped, reminded, safeguarded, but above all, please God, that we might encounter the living God together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, can we please? And we're going to continue to encounter God in just a moment as we, as we continue to worship. We worship God and we teach the Word of God. We're such a privileged people. Truth has fallen in the street. Truth has fallen in the ground. And we are those that are seeking to fight for this truth, for the apostolic gospel, the truth that the apostles brought, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, having been crucified, he rose again from the dead. In us, the hope of glory. We are in Christ, Christ in us, that we have a destiny and a destination that we're on our way to glory, but in his plan and purpose, God has put us into a local church at this time of our lives, that we might be discipled, instructed, in order that we might serve, in order that we might do the works and the will and the word of God. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and the word of God today needs to be this local church, Lord, as we kind of gather in this morning with, uh, we know many of uh, our church away, we think of our young people and leaders even now traveling back from Norwich and from uh, the week that they've had away and praying, Lord, that they may come back blessed in God and, Father, committed to doing your word and do your will. Pray, keep them safe on the road and all those 7,000 traveling right now, Lord, uh, back from New Day as they go back to the length and breadth of this nation. We pray that New Day will, as it will, spill out to the good of our nation through those young people who've been instructed by the Word of God. Pray for those that preach here. I pray for the elders and other brothers who've got teaching gifts, who bring your Word. Pray for Carlos as he brings his different style next week, but knowing that he'll bless us. And, and also for Dan, Lord, as he brings his particular passionate way of exegeting the Scriptures and... Uh, Matt today up in, in 502 and other brothers that will share there. Let the word of God go forth with power. Let sinners be saved. Let the backslider be restored. Let the saints be edified. Help us to celebrate together in your great truth, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.